0: Calendar shifts around compared to ours. Within the calendar, then, so the the yellow those are the Hebrew months. Of course, the blue our months. So we we talked about the seven feasts of Israel. Uh, The four are fall feasts. The first is Passover, and the final of that is Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. And. um, then that is the fall festivals, and then the spring festivals come in with trumpets, atonement, or Yom Kippur would be the No way of thinking of the atonement. And tabernacles, also called booths, also called uh, Sukkot, which is the Hebrew way of expressing it. So the tabernacles is the final of the year's feasts, Passover the first. And in John chapter 6 Jesus, we're told it was about the time of the Passover with the feeding of the 5,000 and the mention of the uh, bread of life someone dinged and that's a good reminder to me to make sure uh, I turned my device off
1: <laughs>
0: thank you for the reminder um, and so uh, that, so then chapter 7 begins with the feast of tabernacles so between chapter 6 and chapter 7 six months time and so Jesus is coming, you know, the brothers said, Why don't you go down to the, the feast um, if you really want your fo- disciples to follow you? And he said, It's not my time yet. So they went down, and then he went down to the midpoint of the feast. And remember, we found everybody was looking for him and, and all of that sort of thing. I want to give you some background. Uh, so I've got a couple of videos I'd like to show you to kind of give perspective. Because we're going to, because these, these are. Um, involved in our account in, in John chapter 7. And the text for us this week is John chapter 7, starting at verse 37, going to verse 52. Um, so let, let me give you some background. Part of the Feast of Tabernacles included a, a water-pouring ritual. And that water came from the pool of Siloam. And so uh, it's rather interesting. If you go to Israel, this is one of the sites you'll almost certainly visit there Jerusalem. And so I want to give you a couple that talk about uh, this pool. What's interesting is where you see this man standing was only discovered in 2004. So when I was living in there, this was, this was still unknown. And uh, you'll see later, they, they say there was this earlier thought place we thought was the pool of Soloam, But now they've discovered this and feel like this is the real pool of Siloam. But that's one of the things, when I went back in 2013, after I hadn't been there for 40 years, uh, I could not believe how much the place changed. Things that were discovered archaeologically that hadn't been. So it's it's always an ongoing process in Israel. But let's uh, get a brief mention of the Pool of Siloam here. At the southern end of
2: the city of David the place where Jerusalem began, a sewage pipe explodes. The municipality sends in construction workers to repair the sewage pipe. But the city of David is not just another part of Jerusalem. And here, when a sewage pipe bursts, you don't only send in construction crews, you also have to send in archaeologists. And they begin to hear from the bulldozers and dump trucks scraping and scratching. It doesn't sound right. They clear everyone out. And it turns out that in repairing the sewage pipe, the construction crews had inadvertently uncovered a series of ancient stone steps, dating back thousands of years. And they realized they had discovered the steps leading down to the Pool of Siloam, the Shiloah Pool. Now, what was the Pool of Siloam? To answer that question, we have to go back some 2,700 years to the time of the biblical King Hezekiah, direct descendant of King David. Now, at that time, The armies of King Sennacherib of Assyria are marching on Jerusalem. Hezekiah understands there's going to be war, and he begins making his preparations, and one of the main things he does is to divert the waters of the Gihon Spring, the light source of Jerusalem during the times of the Bible, to flow entirely within the walls of the city of David. The Bible mentions that it was Hezekiah who builds the Pool of Siloam. Where I'm standing right now the Pool of Siloam dates back some 2,000 years to the end of the Second Temple period. However, archaeologists believe that the original Pool of Siloam, dating back to the time of Hezekiah, is located directly beneath my feet. The Pool of Siloam has significance not just for protecting the water of Jerusalem, but also for another reason. The Bible tells us that there were three times during the year, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, when all of Israel would have to go on pilgrimage up to the temple. Now, before you can do that, one must purify themselves. The Pool of Siloam was a giant ritual bath or a mikvah, to allow the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and millions of pilgrims going up to the temple to first purify themselves before beginning their ascent up to the temple from here at the Pool of Siloam. When you're in the place where the Bible happened, the words of the Bible come to life. The City of David.
0: Did you follow? I mean, you know he's kind of talking quickly, giving a lot of information. So that's why I'm going to show you another video in here just a little bit. Any questions on that? You kind of get the idea. This is a big discovery, all because of a sewage pipe. So next time you have a broken pipe, you just wonder. Can this Bring could be the a huge
1: archaeologists? Pardon me. Bring the archaeologists. call the archaeologists.
0: Exactly. That is a problem in Israel. Anytime you want to do any kind of road construction, whatever, build a new building, first thing the archaeologists have to go in. Because there's millennia of history everywhere you go. So that's the Pool of Siloam. And you saw some reconstruction there, of how people would gather down there, do their ritual cleansing, and then go up to, into the temple. Okay. So um, that gives you a bit, little bit of a feel. Here's another one, and it gives you a little more background about that that, that uh, how the water got to the Pool of Siloam. But you notice he mentioned, okay, quick me test. How long ago... Does that uh, pool date back to? According to them, oh wow, you guys are listening. Twenty seven hundred years, time of King Hezekiah. Uh, here come, here comes the enemy, and so what do you do? Um, you, you make sure you're ready, and one of the things you get ready is water. In Israel, everything is water, and so he there, there's a spring called keyhole Spring, and they needed to secure the water from that so it get inside the city. So if they're being surrounded, they would have water. And so that is part of the Pool of Siloam's function. So here's another. Uh, you can see these look like genuine uh, uh, archaeologists, and, and so they'll give you some
3: more background here. The Gospel of John, and only the Gospel of John, records Jesus performing a miracle at the site called the Pool of Siloam. A blind person approaches him seeking redemption and cure to his blindness. Jesus puts mud in his face and tells him, now wash it off in the water of the pool of Siloam. The blind person does so and he regains his eyesight. Now the question is, where is this site? In the Byzantine period, the spot of the pool of Siloam was identified in another location and a big church was built over it. And until 2004, also modern scholarship thought that's the location. But then, in 2004, maintenance work done here, uncovered a set of steps. And yet the corner over here seems to indicate it's not some step street, but it's part of a big uh, immersion pool for the public. Here is an assumption of what the whole thing looked like. We are now looking at just the corner of it over here. And this is dated to the time of Jesus. So this, people, is probably the real pool of Siloam. This is what Jesus performed his miracle. Where did the water come from? Let's go to the source of the water. this pool come from? What is the source? Where is the spring? You see that the water accumulates here also today. And without this modern plastic pipeline, this whole area would be flooded. But the source is actually 500 meters away from us. And it reaches this part of the city by a tunnel that was dug 700 years before Jesus used this pool of Siloam. The tunnel that feeds this pool is actually from the Old Testament days from the time of King Hezekiah. In 701 BC, that king commanded the creation of a tunnel to take the water to secure the area in fear of the Assyrian attack. And that kept being used also in the time of Jesus, and in fact, it still works to this day. Let's go and see it. The pool of Siloam gets its water from? Apparently, in the time that the pool was operating, they didn't realize that the water source is actually 500 meters away, stemming from the spring which is right beneath our feet. And the tunnel which connected it to the Pool of Siloam was dug 700 years earlier by King Hezekiah, anticipating an Assyrian attack. And it still operates to this day. Let's take a look. Siloam in Christian ancient times. These pillars are part of an ancient church that was built over here. One pillar is perhaps still standing in its original location over here. But in 2004, by accident, another spot was traced around the corner here, and it proved to be the real pool of Siloam. The water continued to flow. It doesn't end here. And now we understand that this is not the end of the tunnel. The pool of Siloam is really around the corner.
0: So that's the kind of place when if you, if you go to tour in Israel, not everybody wants to go into that tunnel. <laughs> uh, I guess I've been through a couple of times. When first time I remember we were with, with a bunch of students and, and carrying candles. And I thought, doesn't anybody have a flashlight in this country <laughs> you you were terrified it blew out because there was no light Um, but he was maybe showing I I remember reading the account of a a young man and I think he was related to Horatio Spafford I think it was one of his kids I'm not sure but kind of snuck out of school or something and went down in there because they they moved after their, their tragedies and such they moved to Israel and he went. I don't know how he got in there, but he got into this tunnel, and he was just feeling his way along. And then, and all of a sudden, he I mean, he could feel. You can see. And they, he was showing you a point in the video. The, the cutting marks. Again, this what they would tell you is. Uh, archaeology tells us they started from two different angles: where they wanted the water to come out, where the water was going in, and they dug through solid rock, 500 meters underground and met like just a little offset. How they did that, I have no idea. But anyway, so this young man was going through and he's following and he could feel the what the direction of the cutting tools fit. And then all of a sudden they were going the opposite direction. Because they were that's where they met. And the stone there marks and explains this is so, so he came out and told people and someone came in and cut out that stone. And uh, it was put into a museum with that inscription, and that that was a replica you saw that kind of I think described what happened or how the thing was made. But it's a remarkable bit of um, to me engineering that they could pull that off. So anyway, all that to say, their water then comes to the pool of soul, They mean like miracle healing, but that pool is also a source of water for a ritual during the feast of booths, and that actually fits into. Our passage in John chapter seven, and so I want to show you one more video um, featuring someone I've mentioned before, one of the guys I studied with over there, a uh, friend of mine, Albert Boski. Lives in Israel, tour guide in Israel, um, and, and he will kind of talk about the festival of booths or tabernacles or Sukkot. Um, okay. The appointed times, Jesus in the feasts of Israel, tabernacles. On this day of discovery,
4: the Feast of Tabernacles, or Booths, is celebrated each fall by Jewish people around the world. Jerusalem and its temple has been the focus of all seven of the feasts of Israel since the days of King Solomon. Today, the Muslim shrine, the Dome of the Rock, occupies that site. Amr Bosky lives here in Israel and teaches the Bible. He's also a licensed guide. Mike Brown is a Hebrew scholar and hosts a national radio program. I'm Michael Radelmach, a professor of Jewish studies and a national radio Bible teacher. We all know the excitement of home for the holidays the gathering of the family when we're going to have a great party and celebrate uh, often what God has done for us and and also celebrate the joy of being with each other and that is what the Fall feasts of Israel particularly Tabernacles represents it was the time when everyone celebrated and came home for the holidays but instead of going to a home everyone came
5: to Jerusalem where we're at. They actually probably came right up these steps they did they came right up these steps where we're sitting and they went right up to the Temple Mount right behind us. All of Israel came right through this way. Also, Jesus and his apostles came right up these steps for the great fall feasts. John chapter 1, verse 14, if we think about the image of tabernacling, it says that the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. In fact, the, the Greek word that
0: John uses is the same word that was used in the Jewish. Greek translation of the
5: Old Testament called the Septuagint, a couple hundred years before Jesus, it means he literally pitched his tent among us. So in a unique way, God tabernacles among us, and that's that's part of the imagery. He boothed among us. God came and dwelt with us like we're dwelling in a booth with him together. Yes. Yeah? And, and what about the, there's the
4: water? The water is very significant because in, in Judaism, there was a, a thing called the water libation ceremony, that we draw waters... Uh, From the wells of salvation and they would bring water up from the pool of siloam up here to the temple mount above us And on the altar they would pour the water Symbolizing that one day the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea and because of that water libation, it, Jesus, in the midst of the festival of, of tabernacles, of booths, John said, 7, right? John 7, he says, uh, anyone that comes to me, the rivers of living water will come forth from this innermost being. And he is saying the living waters that you need is not from a libation, not from the pool of Siloam. It comes from me, and I will give it to you, and it will pour forth. And then, of course, John tells us he referred
5: this to the Holy Spirit that would come upon those who followed him. We're looking at the city of David, ancient Jerusalem from 2,000 years ago. And this is where the priests would have come for the Feast of Tabernacles to gather water from the Pool of Siloam. That's at the very foot of the city of David, that oblong pool, with thousands and thousands of people gathered together, great celebration, dancers, jugglers even. They would take that water up all the way up the city of David, very steep hill, to the Temple Mount, and poured out there in a ceremony of the drawing of water. And now I'd like to show you what this area looks like today. We're standing in a rectangle shaped pool called the Pool of Siloam. It's right at the very bottom of the Kidron Valley in the City of David. This is where the water comes from, which would have been used in the ceremonies of the Feast of Tabernacles. The pool would have gone out this way where it's unexcavated right now. It would have kind of big and there were three sets of five steps coming down over here this is where everyone would have gathered and where you would have had these huge celebrations and dancing celebrating the giving of water and the feast of tabernacles so so you've got this image it's a big procession right a
2: big big event huge
5: drawing of the water and then jugglers
0: torch yeah, so this is a bigger event than we can we can just picture and,
2: and Jesus he says, says this
4: in the midst of it if
2: anyone's thirsty let <laughs> come, come to, me. to me and drink
5: so he's saying that he is the fulfillment of the spiritual blessing of this feast of tabernacles. amazing
4: that people start saying well could this one be the messiah that's the immediate response to what he says because they know that he's declaring that he is the messiah the one who's going to come and who will give the knowledge of the lord to the whole world and then, and then there's the third aspect. Well, there. there's the light. Let's not forget okay. the light. The light, that's also There was a, a, a light ceremony, a torch ceremony here on the Temple Mount. And it got bigger and bigger every day so that on the last day of the Feast, the Great Hosanna, uh, the, the, the super duper celebration, there would be so many torches on the Temple Mount that they, would, they said, according to the, the rabbinic literature, that you could see the light of the Temple all the way far away in Galilee. That's
0: how bright it was. So that's the some background when when it just says it was the Feast of Tabernacles that's it was a you get the impression it was it was huge I don't know maybe what that would look like uh, New Year's Eve in, in New York City or something like that just as. And it was a massive national gathering. And again, remembering the time that they were in the tents in the wilderness. Why would water fit into that? Why would water fit into remembering the wilderness? Purification. Purification? The water forces. from the God r- miraculously provided it. And so, so you know, again, in Israel, water, well, it's, it's actually water is everywhere, isn't it? You know, California, right now, big issues of water. Uh, we've been through big issues of water. Um, we recently had a drought reduction program that was quite effective. <laughs> but uh, uh, but all that to say, you know, and so they would go down and it was this, you know, quite the ceremony, dipping in the pitcher into the pool of Siloam, carrying it up, pouring it out on the altar. Um, and so as they're doing this, and so all this talk about water and, and, the, the, the Jesus cries out with thirsts come to me just like I am the bread now he's saying I am the water so was,
1: was that But you were saying that that is an added man-made ceremony it wasn't something that was already part of the Old Testament I just don't remember reading the was, feast of Booths was, booze saying, was but the ceremony of the water is that something added to make the feast more celebrated I
0: think yes because I think they that's
1: they started getting so caught up in the rituals of the leaders and that makes sense if Jesus said, but I'm the water because, I mean, I like I like I mean, I like how we use certain things to celebrate more you know, like Christmas you know, we, we add to it as we find things that make it more meaningful and that made the feast more meaningful but does, is that what you're thinking too maybe yes. that it, they had gotten so ritual that that's why Jesus said that you're you're still going the wrong way I mean if that's not part of worshiping God it seems r- good but it's ritual
0: I'm not saying I don't think that he's necessarily uh, criticizing that ritual okay. but he's saying that he's saying I am the true water just like when he said you know the they wanted the manna and all that he said I am the true bread and so I think he's using that as a picture of um, look to me you know you know look to me as the fulfillment of, of these ideas well uh, having some of those images in your mind and the picture of the pool down there in your mind and what's going on that will help us as we come to John chapter 7 um, again verses 37 to 52 it says on the last day that great day of the feast so the final day uh, it was even more special Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Um, Any observations as you look at that? or We've already kind of mentioned how that fits with that part of the ceremony. There's the pouring of the water. Hey, speaking of water, look at me. I've got a question for you. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit was not yet given? So when he's saying, I'm going to make water flow out of you, um, uh, it's a, John helps us understand that. He says he was referring to the Holy Spirit who was not yet given. What is that what are we what's going on there? Yes. Mm-hmm. Christ had promised a comforter when he leaves, he would send a comforter. Okay, so Jesus, can you think what scripture, what, what book of scripture says that? I say the Bible. But... Okay, <laughs> Narrow down to one of the 66. Old Testament or New Testament? Let's start there. The New Testament. New Testament. Yeah. No, I was trying to remember. John 16, John sixteen. Yeah, yes. So my point is, it's right here in the Gospel of John where he promises again. John talks a lot about the Holy Spirit compared to the other Gospels, and and so he 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 mentions um, the Holy Spirit will be given. Yes. But
1: wasn't I'm asking a sincere question to be corrected? But wasn't the Holy Spirit? Um, a gift mostly to leadership like kings and things like you know and the prophets and after Jesus now he's giving it as a gift to everyone who believes who's chosen to believe
0: well let's think about what what he's saying Uh, he's he's saying uh, he's going to give the Holy Spirit who is not yet given Uh, and so what does he mean by that well does the Holy Spirit already exist Yes, yes he's the eternal God um, was he in any way active in the Old Testament yes. uh, he's the one who regenerates in all times he did um, do he, do special enabling ministries and so for example um, he would equip for service and that might be some unusual service like uh, Samson uh, you know, it says the Holy Spirit came upon him and he was able to do those things of strength um Other ones, for example, kings, you know, Jesus or David said, Don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. The Holy Spirit enabling him to rule. Um, In in Exodus chapter 31, verses 2 and 3, God, God says, See, I have called by my name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. In wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and all manner of workmanship. So to Samson, he gave strength. To Bezalel, he gave him um, all kinds of skills because t- you know, he was going to be the, the artisan of the tabernacle. And so you know, he, he specially equipped him to, to do <coughs> these wonderful works of art as well as others. But that was a temporary uh, giving for specific service. Wow. It was not an indwelling, continuing indwelling experience that begins at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit's given. And so that's where, uh, what did you say it was, Mark? John 16 what? Uh, what? <coughs> I just said John 16. Okay, well how about John sixteen seven? Jesus says, and this is why I thought was interesting, then um, it's why we were saying what book is and I think it's interesting just a few chapters later it's right here in the gospel of John nevertheless I tell you the truth Jesus says it is to your advantage that I go away and you can imagine that if they're thinking you're going away no how's that advantage for if I do not go away the helper will not come to you but if I depart I will send him to you and so here John says Jesus is not yet glorified Chapter 16, uh, he he tells us, it's after the cross, uh, after Jesus departs, he will send the Holy Spirit. So, in other words, he's talking about a future ministry of the Holy Spirit when Jesus is in the temple, saying, come to me, I'll give you that Holy Spirit. Makes sense. Yes. So fair to say in the Old Testament the spirit kind of came upon people for a specific task but once
5: we've been cleansed by the blood of Christ he can dwell within us
0: yes and he becomes a permanent resident um, now for example the word I, I don't I have the text right immediately from the language but uh, in Exodus he says I'm going to fill Bezalel with uh, the spirit of God but it's a different kind of filling in that it's not the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit that is yet future where that is an equipping where David could say don't take him away from me um, in our case Ephesians 1 tells us the Holy Spirit is a um, a security it's, it's, uh, the Greek word is Erebon it has the idea of uh, oh, pardon? Like, the earth's payment, earth's like an earnest payment, payment yes um, and so that's what he was saying. The Holy Spirit, if you, you know, he can't be taken away from you. So he is our guarantee that we're going to heaven. In other words, we're given the Holy Spirit in the sense, um, if, if we're excluded from heaven, so is the Holy Spirit. Now, that's back. You know, you understand what I'm saying. It's, but the idea is he is our security, he is our earnest that we have a place in heaven. So that's permanent as opposed to a temporary here, a temporary there. I guess what, you also have the concept that you can grieve him because he's in use during in New Testament times or depart in the in right. Old Testament, right? Right. And so yes, the he, he, Old Testament can be taken away uh, or can be just given for, for specific times and purposes. In the New Testament, you can grieve him and sin against him, but he, he is indwelling and he's permanent. But that, so that's, that shows you there is a, a Differing It's not that the Holy Spirit begins to exist But uh, the, His ministry changes There is a transformation that, that begins At Pentecost mm-hmm. After the Lord is glorified by the cross The resurrection and ascension So one of the things we When we say and we talk sometimes that We use the term dispensational To emphasize that there during God's dealings with man Change in different dispensations. Here's a good example: Old Testament, no permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. New Testament, every believer, permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's a dramatic change. So it's um, Old Testament sprinkle New Testament immersion. Maybe. <laughs> <Something like that. laughs> so, so all that like to say, yeah. And if it's a sprinkle, it's a—it's more of a dry clean. It's just a short. <laughs> yeah. So, so there. Anyway, so what he's saying is that picture. But he's also saying, "You come to me, and I will give you the Holy Spirit." So it's—it's—it's it's, it's not go seek the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is ours through Christ. And so he never—the uh, Holy Spirit is very. You'll notice that he—he he never tries to draw attention to himself. Remember back when I was in California, there was a church that was established in uh, San Francisco called, I think it was the, the Holy Spirit Center or something. And I thought the Holy Spirit would be so offended by that. You know, it's not, it's, he would, you know, you could just see him just looking at the places and saying, it's not about me. And if you knew me, you would know it's not about me. <laughs> if you want to honor me, call it the Jesus Christ Center and honor him. So Jesus says, uh, that water, that, remember, He kind of said the same thing, didn't he, to the woman at the well? I'll give you water where you're never thirsty again. So he said that water in the Old Testament is a picture of the Holy Spirit satisfying the thirst of the soul. Um, 40 to 42 he uh, says, therefore many in the crowd when they heard this saying said, truly this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David from the town of Bethlehem where David was?
1: Um,
0: When the prophet and Christ, uh, we'll probably mention on Sunday that those are two different ideas. The prophet, uh, is a reference to Deuteronomy 1815 when Moses said, God's gonna send a prophet like me. But actually, that's speaking of Christ, and so the prophet and the Messiah are the same person. But in the Jews, they weren't sure. Is it the same person? Is it some, so? Some say, is this the promise of prophet in Deuteronomy? Uh, is this the Messiah? And Jesus could say to both of those, "Yes." Um, but something—what are they missing here? That's what they—and what they're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon? Jesus did come from. Okay. Yes. Yeah, but but how they don't? Where do they think he's from?
1: Galilee.
0: Galilee, and Nazareth in between, but especially he's a Galilean. And by the way, that that was not a complimentary term. They, they kind of looked down on Galileans. You know it said? And so, no, no, no. Messiah's supposed to come from the, the sea of David, that's Judean. That's Judea, not Galilee. From Bethlehem, not Nazareth. A few verses before, they said they didn't know where he was coming Well, you saw it's a mixed group, but it's kind of like: you, have you ever tried to talk with someone, and as soon as you start establishing a point, they change the direction? And it's like, wait a minute, we know where he's from. The next one, we don't know where he's from now. We, we know we were, this and it's not Bethlehem. What should they have done?
5: On the scripture.
0: Gone to Scripture, and then maybe ask, him, "Well, how, are you from Bethlehem?" He said, "Well, funny you should ask. If you know any local shepherds, you might ask them what happened about 30 years ago." You know, you think about it. People probably still, or plenty of people around, remembered some of those events. And but yeah, they never bothered to ask. So often we miss things because we just don't ask questions. So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one lays hands on him. So, what were some of the opinions that were going around about Christ at this point? About Jesus? What were, what were they... If you were a you know, man on the street thinking how you, know, you get all those different opinions? If, if someone were to go just randomly, what kind of answers would he hear? Teacher. Oh, he's a, boy, he's a good teacher. Just another fake. Yeah, oh man, these religious people, especially in Jerusalem, they're dime, they're they're a dime a dozen. Yeah,
2: some believe.
0: Some think he's the Messiah. Or He's my savior. Yeah. Okay. And some said he was a
2: blasphemer.
0: Yeah, blasphemer, um, demon, demonic. Some would even said. So you talk about the spectrum. You could go that that. That would make an interesting YouTube, wouldn't it? You'd get every kind of opinion possible. What? I have never heard anyone teach the scriptures like that. Go to the next guy. I think he's demon-possessed. <laughs> then you go to the next I think he's the Messiah. I think he's a heretic. Like he's a answer. What's that? It's like reading reviews online. Yeah. <laughs> well, to be honest, would Jesus get a five-star review at that time? No. Oh, um, and so you know, consider the source. So, so that, but, but we notice it says here there was division among the people. You know, and there, it was, it was, it was a mixed crowd. And this is two and a half years of ministry, the ministry of John the Baptist. And we're starting with the final six months, and Jerusalem is still divided all over the place. Um, as a Bible teacher and a pastor and a preacher, there's some comfort in that. Um, not everybody's persuaded, are they? Or if you've ever tried sharing Christ, some people you barely get the words out of your mouth that they're saying, "Yes, that's exactly that's what's on my heart." And others are like, "You're crazy. You're just saying that because where you were raised or whatever it might be." Um, this mixed multitude is all around us. Then the officers, uh, the temple priests, uh, the temple police, if you will, came to the chief priests and Pharisees. And I always always notice the chief priests and Pharisees are different. Chief priests are the the priestly group, and they're mostly Sadducees. Pharisees are mostly Pharisees. But but, then the officers came to the, the Sanhedrin and said, and they said, why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. But well, the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd does not know the law. But that this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. So why didn't the officers seize Jesus?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. You know, something here doesn't seem right. You know, he's not blaspheming. He's not calling down, you know, cursing. He's teaching the Bible. And in a way that struck them, you know, remember these guys lived in Jerusalem. They, they worked in the temple. They heard all kinds of teachers and preachers and religious leaders. And they said, uh, this guy is different. i oh, Pharisees and Yeah. No one's ever talked like thought like him. Obviously they thought he was better than they were. This is the first time we've heard a preacher who's not a hypocrite. <laughs> he says to the preachers of the of Egypt. <laughs> yeah, uh um, boy that but that would have been a slap in the face. Um, but it's interesting. They the, they restrained themselves but they don't say because we're afraid of the mob, the crowd. Something doesn't seem, why are we arresting him again? It seems to be their attitude.
1: But who do they answer to? I mean, are they, do they just have a chief and every, all the little ones, all the other soldiers only answer to the chief?
0: Um, well, I'm sure there was a the chain officer, of command.
1: Or do they all have to answer to the priests?
0: I'm sure there's a chain of command But, they all, but the chief priests are their uh, Are their ultimate authority So that's Yeah that's a problem What do you know about What, what do you notice about how the Pharisees are thinking
1: They Pharise- Nobody believed But there were some Pharisees That believed They just didn't talk about it well, How do you know some Pharisees believed uh, That Jesus was a Messiah And how do you know that well, Nicodemus. Okay, Nicodemus
0: is a Pharisee. Yeah. Why don't they mention him? Doesn't fit the narrative. What's that? Doesn't fit the narrative. Doesn't
2: fit the narrative, yeah. Well, he was believing in secret. Yeah,
0: yeah. he was not too bold at this point.
1: They have a pretty low opinion of everybody else.
0: Yeah, they do. Matter of fact, in the rabbis, they have, there's an expression that's not in the New Testament, but it's called... Am Haaretz, people of the earth. And so that's the, the, the crowd, the rabble. And the Am Haaretz would be sinners. They don't, they're not um, careful about obeying the law. And so that's kind of what they're saying about this crowd. This crowd doesn't know the law. They're cursed of God. They're, they're sinners. They're not like us. We know and do the law. Uh, why, are you, why are you listening to this crowd The Pharisees know better. That's a pretty strong word, a curse. Yeah. Just because they think they don't know the scripture. Yeah. Well, that just kind of shows you the fair, you know, they're they're that kind of an elitist view. And, you know, that hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Kind of the the elitists. and, And, you know, let the experts tell you. And people love to quote experts and for years, TV ads—if you put someone in a white coat and said, "Okay, oh well, they're—they're they're an expert." So you get someone to wear a white coat, and tell you that these cigarettes are the very best for you. you know, well, there you go—he's an expert. Um, so uh, that's what they're pulling here. You know, you're acting like these ignorant sinners. We will tell you what to believe. You know, a lot of people buy into that. It must be true because I, I, I saw a YouTube video of a guy who's a professor somewhere, and he said this or that. And so people all of a sudden get very doubtful about things. And I, I mentioned when I was in Berkeley, I took a course on Bible as literature. And there was a professor, and he was attacking the Bible virtually every lecture uh, while telling us how much he enjoyed and loved the literature of the Bible, but he kept telling us how it wasn't true. But here was an expert, he's a professor that's teaching the Bible at the university uh, and that lot of people and so that's just a reminder read your bible and you know, test your experts Last nice few verses here Nicodemus he who came to Jesus by night being one of them said to them does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing they answered and said, "Are you also from Galilee? Search and look; no prophet has arisen out of Galilee." What's uh, what's Nicodemus trying to say? Leave him alone. Leave him alone. Give him a fair shake. Listen. Give him a fair shake. Listen. Are we prejudging? Yeah. How are we're passing? We're passing sentence, and we're not even. Doesn't the law require we have some kind of a court case before we condemn him? I mean, that's not so reasonable, is it? Uh, what's their response? What are you from Galilee? Yeah. <laughs> Again, what do they think about Galilee? You know, they don't like them. Huh? What are you one of the, these these losers? But you know, it's instead of saying well, Nicodemus, actually, you've got a point. We do have a responsibility to the law. You know, it's, it's it, that's the old ad hominem argument, right? Um, when someone tries to make a, you know, well, you're only saying that because you're ignorant. Because You're saying that because you're from Galilee. You know, they, they attack the person instead of saying, um, well, Nicodemus has a point. We really probably should, before we condemn him, we should at least talk to him and hear what he has to say. Now, you you remember the old Western sheriff that says, we're going to give you a fair trial, and then we're going to hang you. <laughs> uh, uh, let's hear him. But they, they attack the idea. But, you, but like you see how Nicodemus is kind of holding his t- cards close here. The best he can do is, maybe we should just, maybe. You know, and he's hoping the procedure you know, would help. He's not just flat out saying, No, no, I think this man is a Messiah. He doesn't declare that there. Nicodemus reminds us he came when? By night. night. Yeah. Let's put Joseph in the pit. Yeah, <laughs> let's not <let's laughs> kill him. Yeah, yeah, let's put Joseph in the pit and not kill him and maybe we'll figure something out. Yeah. Was You're it, right. Is it later one of well, the Pharisees would say, Just leave it alone. If it's from, not from God, it'll fail. If it does, we don't want to be guilty of working against God. Yeah. If it's not a god, it'll it'll collapse of itself. Uh, well, that, that was that was another kind of a wise decision. To, you know, sometimes, uh, and this seems to be the philosophy of Washington. Sometimes no action is better than some action. <laughs> you know, if you leave it alone, maybe it'll resolve itself. They said, by the way, do you read the scriptures? That was the last statement. Search out, and look. No prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Was there ever a prophet out of Galilee before Jesus? Where did John the Baptist. Judea. John the Baptist would have come from Judea and the wilderness. Good point. Okay, let's, let's search this Let's do what they said. Let's search the scriptures. I cheat though because I use commentaries. Second Kings fourteen twenty five. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which He had spoken through His servant Jonah the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> now, which Jonah are we talking about? Jonah. Who had that whale of a story Is the son of Amitai So same one, okay Jonah, who's the uh, The um, fleeing prophet Came from gath Hepher. Where's gath Hepher? Galilee Good guess Absolutely an excellent guess But let's look at it on a map Just to be on the safe side There's Galilee There's Nazareth, where Jesus is from, and there's Gath Hefer. So, if anyone is not from Galilee, it's Jesus? He's more southerly. You know, they're both well right in the middle of Galilee. And so Jonah, it was a neighbor of Jesus, give or take seven hundred years. So, so what? It's kind of interesting, though. People are easy to say, Wow, you just read your Bible, you go not find any prophets from Galilee. And if someone really reads his Bible, I said,
4: wait, wait a minute.
0: He's a pretty reluctant one. Yeah. <laughs> now, granted, you know, I, some of us, as we studied him in that uh, um, unlikely heroes, so we're all thinking, No, I'm not sure we want to call him a hero. But he's, yeah, he's not top of the list. But he came from Galilee. Um, and so, you know, it's that whole we're from Judea, that's Galilee. We're we're at the center of worship Those are a bunch of It was called Galilee of the Gentiles It was was dominated by Gentiles at the time And so there's this idea You're all ungodly pagans Who don't know the Bible Um, But that just shows you You know know, If you think that Jesus is the Messiah You're one of these sinners from the The crowd Uh, You or you're a Galilean Read your Bible Oh that can be kind of intimidating can't it
1: well, if they're going to keep twisting it, the truth, Jonah was a prophet to the Ninevites. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Even though not really anyone called by God for the mission like
0: he was in his heart. He's a prophet. Yeah, Serving was, God's purpose. Yep. He's a prophet serving God's purpose. And he uh, he had the widest ministry of any of the prophets, I would say, from Spain all the way over to Assyria. Um, evangelizing Gentile sailors and uh, and uh, evangelizing pagans and Ninevahs from Galilee. Well, I like to fill in some of those details that you know really can't look too much after in the message, but give you some background. Any other thoughts or comments on it? Yes, sir. When it said. Uh, <clears throat> It thirst. Um, I'll give living waters. The rivers of water. And it's plural. Rivers is plural. Is that uh, referring to just the abundance of blessing, or is that since it says it's the Holy Spirit, is that referring to different aspects of the Holy, the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the, fruit, the Spirit? Or? I think uh, the rivers of water is just to emphasize the abundance as opposed to a, a pitcher full. um you're going to have rivers of water and often usually in hebrew water is all is plural it's a plural now but but he's just you know he uses the word um, rivers and that's again that that's this is the greek word Potamus. Um, potomas it, it has you know we get a Potom- potomac river from it it's it's not a stream. It's not a trickle. It's not a pitiful. It's, it's, it's suggesting just the abundance, and of, of, which is a good challenge to us. If we're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, He is abundantly ministered and enabled and satisfying
1: Well, I think we will stop there.